Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who might stop by to ask for a cup of slab. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it is show number 505. On today's show, we're talking about shooting miters, milling on long projects, making shiplap, and the correct way to mark with a measuring tape. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for over 65 years. Rockler is giving away a new product each month to one lucky Wood Talk listener. This month, they are giving away Rockler Bench Cookie Plus Master Kit. A Rockler Bench Cookie Plus Master Kit. It works better when you use all the words. Uh, which includes a deluxe assortment of bench cookies for work holding, uh, risers for clearance, and cones for finishing. It has over 300 five-star reviews, and it's a $59.99 value. Enter for your chance to win before July 1st at rockler.com slash woodtalk. All right. And if you'd also like to support the show, you can do so. But go to patreon.com slash woodtalk and sign up to become a patron of the show. This week, we're thanking our new patrons. Who we got here? We got Nate Glover, Jim Lancast, Buddy McLaren, Hugh Janice, and Rachel Steele. Yeah! Woo! Welcome aboard! Yeah, we're glad to have you! <laughs> yeah, seriously, though, we are appreciative of uh, everybody who helps us out financially like that. It's uh, really appreciated. So I think let's uh, let's get to what's on the bench. The I'm bench. working on a project that I did not design. <clears throat> so you know the guy, John, that works for me? That nope. guy, John. Never mind. Uh, you won't let me. <laughs> you won't let me near him. The pandemic <laughs> won't let you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so John is uh, hes my assistant. He's been working with me now. Gosh, its it, we're going to be going on a year pretty soon. Time is it really? really flies. Yeah. Wow. Seriously? Dang. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, around August he was supposed to start working. Uh, and then he had a, he had a kid that delayed things for a little bit. So we'll, we'll be at a year pretty soon. Wow. That's anyway, crazy. Um, John doesn't have a huge woodworking background. He has done quite a bit of woodworking, but like he also likes to design things and his like original career and, you know, real focus. I think what he wants to do with his life is some sort of engineering. Um, but you know, he works for me to pay the bills. <laughs> so, uh, he likes to design things, you know, so he occasionally comes up with a design that he thinks is pretty cool, shows it to me and I go, yeah, why not? Let's, let's do it. <laughs> so that, that fan, um, yeah, I'll seat, indulge you. Yeah. <laughs> that C table that, uh, we did before was his design. Uh, and this is a cool little bed that he wants to make for his, his daughter Ray. So the idea is it's kind of convertible, not, not convertible in a sense, like a crib to a day bed type thing. It's, it's basically a twin size bed that the, what becomes like one of the sides of that twin size, the twin size bed will then become the headboard later. So the headboard is kind of special. There's work put into it. And that's why he wants to be able to then reuse it later for a king size bed. So we're trying to get the size just right so that you can kind of use it for both and not have something be sitting on there too big uh, and all kinds of wonky. Um, so that's kind of the, the crux behind it. But because we're in Denver and there's beautiful mountains, he, he had a really cool picture of downtown Denver and the Rockies behind it. So he took that 
drew an approximation of that mountainscape. And we're basically, it's kind of like we're, we're layering on the pieces for each mountain using, using a different species of wood, layering it. And then the forward most ones are kind of going together sort of in Tarja style. Uh, and each one is like a different thickness as it butts up to the one next to it. So it gives it a little bit of, um, you know, just visual uh, appeal and uh, depth to it. So uh, the headboard's going to be super cool. And the rest of it's a pretty straightforward build with, you know, mortise and tenon legs. We're going to go with knockdown hardware, probably using um, what's really like the best knockdown hardware out there is the Festool connectors uh, to put that thing together. So um, we are at the point now where we're like halfway through the uh, the headboard. I think once the headboard's done, everything else is going to be just downhill from there. So it should be a pretty quick project. Um, what's what's different about this one, the way we're filming it? I'm like, you know what, man? This is your daughter's bed. I'm, you take the lead. I mean, I'm here to support you. I'm here to do the work when the camera's off, but I want this to be you know, something you can make for your daughter that is, uh, you know, 99% your actual labor. Um, so he is, I mean, really the thing is I'm, I'm making him build the bed because he's not paying for it. So, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, so do the work, man. You don't have to pay for this thing. No, seriously though. Um, I think it's cool. I mean, as a parent who builds things for his kids, I think it's super cool to be able to, to say that I built this thing. I so. think it's cool that I can look at it and go, Ooh, like it's, it's not, like it's an actual representation of the the front range west of Denver. Like there's Mount yeah, Evans, man, it's there's Gray's Peak, there's Torrey's Peak. Like I can, <laughs> I climb those. I know those mountains. It's pretty cool. I remember. Yeah. It, it, if it, he actually has the photo uh, and you can kind of do an overlay side by side. It's not going to be a hundred percent perfect. Um, we're cutting, you know, the biggest one with a jigsaw. So stuff's going to move a little bit, um, but it's, it's darn close and certainly close enough for, for the purpose. So I'm looking forward to seeing this thing come together. It's a, a really cool concept, 100% his design. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm, I wanna, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this conversion thing. Yeah. it's How do um, you guys perfectly execute this? Uh, I, who said it's going to be perfect? <laughs> I don't know. It's your shop. You it will be, it'll be executed. <laughs> it'll be executed. <laughs> we'll get, <laughs> and actually, here's the thing. It, it, it'll be his problem. Like oh, this, is, this is years down the, the right line. <laughs> this is years down the line when this thing is going to need to convert to a King bed. So I don't have to worry about it. Come so. back to your shop. Mark, we got to make some modifications, <laughs> yeah, right? Now, I don't remember how John's we did any of this. How does right. this go together? <laughs> well, uh, that's the other thing I was like, are we making because what will happen is the only thing that's reusable is the headboard. So like, are we making the other rails? Cause the, it basically switches its orientation and what was the side of the bed will then later become the headboard of a new bed. So you're going to need new rails and like, do, what are we going to do about that? <laughs> like, do we need to do it now? Like the best thing would, would actually be uh, to build those pieces now and then put them in storage. Right. Cause especially if you're doing all kinds of, uh, you know, knockdown joinery, you got to get that placement, right? Imagine doing that like four years from now. It'd be a huge pain in the butt. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. But that's, that's about all that's going on for me. That's yeah. a lot still though. Yeah. Building furniture. That's what I do. <laughs> that's oh, a lot. Geez. Especially when we get to my part of what's on the bench. It's a lot compared to me. <laughs> so in my shop, I put together my uh, dust collection ducting stuff. Oh yeah, I got that. I got that put in. Nice. So this How'd time, you like that Nordfab. This time I got this Nordfab stuff. Oh my goodness, it's so nice. Isn't it great? Oh, it's a guilty pleasure thing, though. It's so much a guilty pleasure. I'm like, <laughs> this is this does exactly the same thing as any like the cheaper duct work that I had before, but just the install process is like the most painless and seamless thing ever. Like I didn't even like slice my hands open on like sheet metal. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what am I doing here? It's almost fun. I mean, <laughs> dare I say. The bar set pretty low, if you ask me. <laughs> not drawing blood is the, uh, the the bar you're trying to get over. I think, wow. I, uh, when I installed my last one, I drew so much blood. Like, I, I had shop, my hands were wrapped in shop band-aids in like multiple places. You know, you take some masking tape and wrap it around your hand. Yeah. Because you're too lazy to go in the, sh in the house and get a band-aid. Did you, uh, did you have like snap lock or was it just thin, thin walled, like HVAC stuff? I had snap lock. Yeah. See, that's the thing. You're that's sheet metal. You got to cut it to size. You're yep, trying to manage snap it, it together. I don't, I don't blame S you for cutting snap yourself it together. Man. Seal all the seams or cut it to size, whatever you got to cut it before yep. you, you snap Get it like tin snips or whatever. Yeah. Hopefully you can do that first. Otherwise it's terrible to cut afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you got to crimp if you, if you, uh, cut the crimps off one end or whatever you got to recrimp it put it together 
the sheet metal screws, and then foil tape on everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with this pain in the butt. So this time I used um, I got the Clear Recyclone and I used their uh, design service. Mm-hmm. Another guilty pleasure. Oh yeah, like <laughs> let them do it. You just like draw like a really bad picture of your shop, a scale drawing on like a, a grid, some grid paper, and they take a few pictures and they say, "How do you like this layout?" Yeah, that's okay. Do it again. And they're like, okay, how about this layout? <laughs> Do it again, just for funsies. <laughs> Do it again. And then you say, okay, yeah, I like this layout. It's very cool. And they say, okay, here you go. Here's your entire package. Every single straight piece, every single elbow, every single clamp, every single hose. Like, it just comes in a box. And you just put it together. And the, I think the best part of it, if you are trying to manage the drops on this thing, so let's say you've got a, a stretch going across the ceiling, you need to make a turn and then you got to turn down to come to the tool. My favorite thing about the NordFab is like, it's not like other things where you've cut parts. Like right. you might cut them, but you then have a um, adapter that's like got, I don't know what, 12 or 14 inches of yeah, play. Like telescopic sleeve. Yeah. Thing. So yeah. then you can just, you all you have to do is get it close. And then once it's up there, you could just kind of extend it. So it just boom, perfectly hits the wall. Um, that system is ingenious, but it's also as smart as it is. It is equally expensive. You, you, you pay for it. That, that's for sure. But what <laughs> yeah, you do, what I, I like, I personally enjoyed about it for like the setup process. Like when you, when you do the HVAC stuff, when you put those sheet metal screws in, that's the direction that elbow is going. Yeah. Because if you want to change it, you got to unscrew it and untape it. <laughs> right. With the NordFast stuff, you loosen the clamp, you rotate it a little bit and you tighten the clamp back up and you're good to go again. Yep. So it's, it's like a hundred percent guilty pleasure, like best user experience ever. Yeah. When, um, moving here, of course did the first setup. Uh, but then when I got the CNC, I wanted to extend the line. So what I, what I do typically is I'll put a Y at the very end, Mm -hmm. uh, put the last branch and then just cap the end off in case there's something in the future. I actually sometimes am smart enough to do things (laughs) like that. And in this case, it paid off because I put the CNC there and I needed to just go like another, I don't know, eight or eight or nine feet and then do another drop. It was I still had parts here because my old setup was a little bit bigger. Uh, Took about, I don't know, 10 minutes. It took longer to put a hook in the ceiling. That's that was the worst part about the whole install was (laughs) finding the ceiling joist and putting the hook in. Right. Yeah. You know, the system is really good when that's like when the duct itself, the duct work itself is not the biggest problem. <laughs> like that's the world I'm living in where I'm like, Oh, I got to put on a hookup. Oh yeah. Uh, well, cool, man. Sounds fun. It, it was. Yeah. Now I want some, what are you going to do with I, it? I oh, that's right. That you do ducting. have a planer. D- yeah. <laughs> the one tool. You want to talk about overkill? Please just, do in, it. I think I'll put a clear view cyclone it. on it. <laughs> that would be great. I've got, I've got a, I've got a two foot run. Yeah. On my, on my clear view cyclone. It's Imagine the suction on that. It's kind of one of those things. <laughs> yeah, I, I use it to actually provide. I just turn off the in feed rollers and I just <laughs> use the suction. Through. Pulls it right it. through. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, it's more, I'm, I'm, since I started, you know, like doing triathlon, I wanted a wind tunnel to test like aerodynamics. So I just figured why not? <laughs> we'll just set it up, change it from suck to blow. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, speaking of triathlon, that's, that's what I'm doing on my bench lately. I, my, um, workout load has increased and is continuing to increase every single week because I'm preparing for longer distances for later this summer. And I've just discovered that crazy I like go into the shop and all I want to do is just sit down. Like, <laughs> so what happens when you get I was old like midway through. A project. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what I'm discovering is when I have hard workout days, I, you know, I have like on the weekends it's like, okay, I'm going to go in the shop and do this, 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 and this, but I'll get my workout done first thing in the morning. So I have the time in the shop in the afternoon. I have like no energy Can left. It? Like it's the last <laughs> weekends I go in the shop and I just end up like sitting in my shop stool and just like staring at the wall for a while. It's like, okay, I need some nutrition. Got to, got to get some, some electrolytes in that'll help. And I feel fine. And then I'm like, I just can't focus. <laughs> like I, I got nothing left. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta find some balance here. Um, triathlon has been good for my health, but it's not been real good for my woodworking productivity in the last couple of weeks. Do more presentations on zoom. You'd be fine. Yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect. I'll try not to fall asleep in mid presentation. <laughs> Hopefully you awkward. can stay awake. <laughs> right. But you know, falling well, uh, asleep during a presentation is kind of par for the course for a woodworking guild meeting. 
Oh, you got, there's gotta be people sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Not the presenter though. Generally. No, no, no. Usually the audience, but yeah. I think they'll be forgiving of it. Cause that's, that's what how you know you're doing it. it right. But <laughs> if I wait for them to fall asleep, then I have the, the okay to go ahead and nap myself. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. fine. It's good cool. stuff. Just set an alarm. <laughs> wake yeah. up by the end of it. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about our friends at Rockler. Um, you know, if you visit a Rockler store or rockler.com, you could find some cool stuff there. Uh, did you guys know that they are really uh, putting a lot more effort into the whole lumber side of thing things? That's, I think that's pretty cool. I got to get out to my uh, Denver location. I think when we had our last call with them, didn't they say that was like, I don't know if it's their, not their flagship store, but like certainly one of their oldest stores or something like that here in Denver. Something along those so. lines. Yeah. I was only half listening. Um, <laughs> Rock- <laughs> that's what happens. Look, I, I left corporate America a long time ago. You get me on a corporate zoom call. I'm only halfway there. That's <laughs> just the way it is. All right. Rockler has uh, dramatically expanded their assortment of quality hardwoods, exotics, live edge slabs. Watch out, Matt, uh, turning lumber <clears throat> and Baltic birch in most stores from purple heart to maple to walnut. And of course, lots more than that. Uh, you're sure to find what you need for your next project. If you're not by a store, check out their website for domestic and exotic lumber, plywood, veneer, dowel rods, live edge slabs, and uh, bleh, and more that can actually be shipped directly to your door, which is pretty nice. And if you have a question about your lumber purchase, their expert retail associates and product support team can provide expert assistance. Visit rockler.com to view inventory for each store near you, or you could shop online. I really got to get out there. The Dude, Denver so store I, is pretty good. I went to the... The Maplewood store here in town, mm-hmm. and since they did this, um, what we call it, a revamp, a remodel, or refocus on woods or whatever, yeah, it's it's they got a lot more stuff there, and they have like actual like I don't know like like milling services now too. Really nice. So if you like, they got they got a, a chop saw, they got a joint room planer there. So like, if you need to like cut your stuff to whatever size you need, like you can do all your, I don't know, I'm sure they do it for you. But you could probably go and dimension all your stuff there. Yeah. If you don't have a stuff at home either. Oh, that's pretty that's, great. That's so cool. I can't overstate how important having that type of service was when I started woodworking. Like, oh, especially I, in the exotic side of things, like they, they stock like, you know, three eighths inch thick stuff and half inch thick stuff and s- just smaller cutoffs, not cutoffs, but just smaller boards of like zebra wood or Paduke or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cost of that, of that lumber is so high that it's just, it's possible to go to a lumber yard and buy like a full size board of it a lot of times. It's just not in the budget. Just having that kind of flexibility. I mean, you may hear a lot of people complaining say, Oh, it's expensive. Well, yeah, it is. Cause it's not a lumber yard, but you look at the amount of labor that's going into those boards. And generally a lot of times they're priced per board on those smaller things. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't think I could have done the woodworking I did in like the first couple of years I started, like before I had a planer, before I had a joiner, all that stuff. That was a, uh, that kind of retail experience. Granted it wasn't Rockler cause there's still no Rockler store in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. I work on that. It was that other company that we won't talk about. Yeah. The what other Rockler. <laughs> the other Rockler. <laughs> nice. Nice. We just extended our sponsorship for a year with that statement alone. <laughs> They changed the name to the other Rockler. Uh, they're on Good board stuff. for another year. Thank you, Matt. You just- <laughs> well done. Single-handedly saving the show. There you go. That makes up for all the titles. Uh, all right, Shannon, why don't you uh, jump into our questions? All right. This is from Ray. He says, I'd like to, I like to tune out my miter joints on a 45 degree shooting board. This works well for the softer woods like cherry or walnut, but I really struggle with harder things like sugar maple or any of the tropicals. When I shoot biters on these woods, the plane tends to drag the piece up fence, I guess towards the plane is what he's saying, which results in a non 45 degree angle and defeats the whole purpose. Hmm. I know that sharp fixes everything. So that's where I always start. However, I'm pretty satisfied with my plane sharpness. I have attached sandpaper to the fence to provide more friction. This helps, but ultimately does not solve the problem. I figure I could tie different plane angles. However, my heavier planes I use for shooting all have relatively high angle. My low angle block just doesn't have the heft, so I don't have a lot of data on low angle planes. Well, first of all, uh, I mean, low angle planes certainly could be something, but it's it's not the the bed angle. It's the, the bevel angle. Um, 
when people are say they're using low angle planes, if you're talking about a higher angle, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't put a whole lot of stock in that. I'm not denying that it's not, that it's true that higher angle planes are can, or low angle planes, I should say on ingrain is, is a better idea. I just don't think it's necessary. I don't know that really messing with the plane is going to solve a lot of problems for you other than making sure that it is pretty dang sharp. The other thing, however, is look at your depth of cut, like the heaviness of your cut. Um, you know, you may be not having problems with cherry and walnut and struggling things with like sugar maple and exotics. You're probably going to have to back your cut off a little bit in order to get a decent um, cut without chatter or without it wanting to grab it and kind of pull it up the fence like that, just because the wood is so much harder. I know that when I uh, shoot something like walnut and then switch over to hard maple, I have to make several tweaks. Most, most importantly is reducing my depth of cut so that I'm taking an even finer shaving. But also when a finer shaving is taken, you need an even sharper blade to do that. So you may think the blade is sharp enough, but you might be surprised how a quick drag over the strop may give you slightly better results. The strop. That, the strop. The, the solution <laughs> to all of life's problems is the strop. Um, the other blood. thing. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's like this little devil on my shoulder whispering in my ear. <laughs> the other um, rockler. <laughs> that really should be our show title just to just to yeah, right. Right. I'm right there with you um, man the the last thing i'll say is if you were in a situation where you know you're shooting uh um for a frame or, or miter or something like that don't be afraid to actually clamp it to the fence i recognize that every time you take a pass of the plane the board has to scooch forward a little bit in order for it to continue to take a cut but if you're if you're having problems and it's adjusting the angle, it kind of defeats the purpose in the, in, in the long run. So don't overlook that extra couple of seconds it takes to throw even a spring clamp or a rockler bandy clamp um, <laughs> over the fence to hold things in place. Um, the sandpaper is, is, is certainly going to be helpful, but there's nothing wrong with putting a little bit of clamp there. Or you can consider one of those hold down clamps that I think of like, when you think of like jig parts and things like that, yeah, a little, like a toggle clamp deal. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. The little dealy whacker as Mark They'll, would say yeah, that one of those, you, you flip the handle up and it pushes hoochie. down. You could, you could actually install that <laughs> little hoochie clamp, <laughs> little hoochie clamp. Yeah. toggle hoochie. Um, <laughs> yeah. You could install that on the bed of your shooting board or install it on the fence of your shooting board. If you put it on the fence, you've got more adjustability, but just putting it somewhere, stick it somewhere onto your shooting board so that you're putting, you're pressing down on there uh, on the shooting board itself or possibly up against the fence. And that way it's at least easier to disengage and slide that board forward. Um, I think you'll find that will be the, probably the best solution. It will require a little bit of fiddling as you adjust it after every pass, but you know, as long as your miters are somewhat accurate to begin with, you shouldn't be taking 30, 40 passes of the shooting board anyway. Yeah. It ought to be uh, just a couple and you're, you're good to go. Well, Shannon, you kind of dismissed it at the beginning, um, but, and correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, you certainly have a lot more uh, time behind hand planes than I do. Um, but anytime I've tried like the higher angles on temperamental woods, there is significantly more drag in the amount of force I have to apply to do good that point. planing. Yeah that I feel Absolutely. like what, what he's getting at might actually be helpful if he does go to like a low angle jack and then intentionally uses a low angle bevel on that low angle jack. I feel like he may have an easier time possibly because mm -hmm. he yeah, does say his stuff a, is all relatively high angle, which like cues me to like, well, maybe that would benefit him. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. I mean, we are talking about a miter, so it's not quite ingrain. And that may be what he's mm -hmm. thinking is I don't need a low angle because I'm not doing ingrain. But it's right. kind of halfway in between, right? It's it's mm -hmm. not really ingrain. It's not edge grain. It's a little bit of both, uh, certainly dependent upon the angle, I guess. But he's talking about 45s. I actually find that 45 degree angles tend to be the easiest thing to plane because there really is no grain direction, but it's also not full on ingrain. Yeah. So yeah, you don't really need, you know, a hyper tuned, high angle, super tight mouth, you know, polishing plane for this type of, of, of operation. Um I don't know what you might do is, is try, uh, reducing the depth of cut and give your block plane a try. It doesn't have the mass to really drive through it, but at the same time, if you're taking a lower cut and reducing the force required by lowering the bevel angle, you might actually find the block plate might actually work for you in the long run. Hmm. So yeah, good cool. point, Mark. Good Thank job, you. Mark. <laughs> I have them once in a while.
Pat on the back. Honestly, my big thing is I have a total aversion to higher angle planes because I just find that nine times out of 10, they're unnecessary. And they tend to be, I'm going to get in trouble for this. They tend to be a crutch. Like if you're having tear out problems, go to the high angle, you know, go to the card scraper. And really, if you're having tear out problems, go sharpen it, you know, uh, improve your planing technique and you won't have a lot of problems. So I just find high angle almost gimmicky in some respects. It's like, I'm, this is not working. So here's a new product that we can sell you that will fix your tail art problems. And sometimes it just is, it's, yeah, it's not helping. Yeah, but, yeah. Or but, grab a sander. but all you hand tool, uh, Neanderthals who, who like to say this stuff, what woods are you working with? Well, that's some of it, you know, you're working with cooperative species, but if you go and get something that's a little bit uncooperative, sometimes that high yeah. angle or is, uh, is your best friend, which is why I have one of those planes. Um, and it's, it sits in my cabinet when I do pull out the weird woods, the, the yeah. crazy jungle woods or whatever. Right. But, uh, most, I mean, I mostly work with domestics cause I prefer domestics and they're easier to work with hand tools, certainly, but mm-hmm. even highly figured domestics, I, I just haven't found the need to go with the nuclear option. You know, the, the, the polishing plane with the 50 degree blade and the, the mouth so tight that, you know, you can't fit an atom through it, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> okay. Who's up next? Uh, that's me. I, I think. think it's you. Yeah. Uh, this is from Jeremy. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit because it's a longer one. Uh, Jeremy's finished up a extensive remodel and he wants to try and do a shiplap ceiling instead of doing drywall. We're talking 520 square feet of shiplap here, which is quite a bit. He has a few acres of red alder and he's looking uh, or considering having it sawn up into three quarter inch by six inch wide lumber to uh, to make all the ship lap out of. And he's going to be using his 15 inch planer to cut uh, to plan it all and then to cut the ship lap rabbits He's going to do that on a table saw. His first question is, am I crazy to try and cut all of this by hand? Slash, should I look into some sort of featherboard slash power feed type thing for the saw? So I'm going to answer that one first. Uh, as someone who has made their own flooring on a table saw, you, you <laughs> definitely need like featherboards up the yin yang for this stuff or power feed if you can swing it because any inconsistencies at all will make your install the worst experience you'll ever have. Uh, so the more consistent you can get all those cuts, the better. Because if you're looking at doing, let's say you're doing eight foot long boards to be able to get that rabbit consistent all the way down that eight feet, feeding that by hand, you're probably not going to be able to do it, especially if there's any variance in the flatness of that wood too. If it's got like a weird bow or twist in it, that could throw off the accuracy of that rabbit. So you want the uh, the feather boards or your power feeder to be forcing that thing flat as it goes through the cutter. Um, and that's, you just got to get the thing jiggered up to do it. But it's mm. not, I think you're kind of like at that... <clears throat> Uh, that happy place where it's still uh, it's not going to be a happy place. I'm sorry. At, at the, <laughs> at the, at the place where you're like, okay, okay, this is still feasible at that many square, f- that much square footage. So if you're like, you're probably going to be looking at 600 or 700 square feet of like, r- like stock before you go to install. So you have that extra material. That's just think how many boards that is. Like if you haven't done the math already, just think hmm. how many boards that's going to be. I think that's actually on a level that I don't know that I can comprehend well. Like I think of uh, the time maybe I build two tables at once and I'm like, whoa, lots of panels. Look at all these boards I have to do. Like an entire floor or a yeah. ceiling. I mean, wow, that's that's a lot of material. Yeah, I mean, you're you're talking six inch face. So what is that? 520 square feet, uh, 12 times Carry the one, six. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of linear feet. You know, do the math to figure out the linear feet. And that's, right. you know, that's a little bit easier to wrap your head around. Linear feet is, you know, uh, pressing that one six foot board through the table saw. That was a pain in the butt. Now do that 900 more times. <laughs> oh, baby. So it's, it's, it's a lot. Let's just keep that in mind. It's, it's going to be a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's going to be a lot of it's, better be it's, a labor it's of grunt love. work material handling is all it is like you're going to be standing at a machine feeding stuff into it for hours. So just be ready for that. It's it's something mm, uh, I've done crazy. It. It's something. Uh, anyway, the second question is when it comes to the install, 
Uh, he wants to finish with only a clear coat. He thinks it'd be easier to pre-finish, but then it's a lot of square footage to deal with. I think you're noticing the theme. <laughs> Should I use something in a spray can shellac perhaps, and then just finish a few boards at a time, then install them? Repeat that process over the whole area. Uh, I think definitely pre-finishing them is going to be a whole heck of a lot easier than trying to finish them once they're installed over your head, unless you have nothing in that room already. Like if it's bare walls and bare floors still, then, you know, maybe spray finishing after it's installed won't be too bad. But otherwise, uh, I think all the prep work you have to do to actually get that to happen is kind of a lot of work. Um, so in the like in the most optimal world, if you have all the space to deal with all this stuff, you would have yourself a little spray booth. You'd spray everything and be done with it. Uh, the only issue I can see with like spraying be, like different batches would be like the time to like clean a spray gun. And if you get rattle can spray, they, I don't even know how many like rattle can things of shellac you're going to go through. <laughs> that Have sounds I, like a terrible that's, idea. That's that. That makes my so, finger hurt. To so think about. many. It's like, that's like probably one can per board. Like <laughs> realistic. You know what? The, the money he could save, just go to Rockler, get like their $99 HVLP for this job. Yeah, the, right. the savings could buy several of those. That's I would do the spray gun for sure. And then the only like issue with that is going to be if you're going to do them on batches is going to be cleaning the gun between the batches or something like that. Nah, don't bother. Yeah. Or don't just bother. Just keep pouring I mean, more stuff into the cup so it doesn't fine. have a chance to dry out. It'll dissolve. Just pop that little booger off the end and you're good to go. Okay, well, there you go. You got you heard it from Mark. There you go. See, that doesn't matter. So yeah, definitely do that then. Set yourself a little spray booth, spray a few boards, let it dry, stack those ones, bring in the new ones, spray them again. Just, yeah. It's, it's, and if we didn't have a show than, title already, pop the booger off the end would be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll put that up there just for The overall theme with this project is like absolute monotony and mindlessness. So more <laughs> so I, good luck. The, your biggest hurdle is going to be that just getting through it. Like it's going to take mentally. a lot of discipline, like to, to keep the quality high throughout the entire project and not just be like, I am so over this. I don't care. Let's just get it up there. Yeah. But with the, I think with the batching thing that could help with that too. Cause then you're not doing so much. Yeah. So much. Mm-mm-mm. And you might, you might even be able to like, do the sh- run the ship lap like as you need it. So instead of doing, I think I calculated 75 boards you need at eight feet long. That's right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But instead of doing all of them at once, maybe you do 15 at a time or 20 at a time. You leave your you table go. saw set up and run them and then finish them and put them in the stack. If that helps you more than going through the whole thing at once. Yeah. I don't Dude, know. Crazy stuff. It's a lot. Okay, can I go now? You can go now. I just saw that extra thing at the end. Shannon, make sure you read that. He has a note for you. I did read it. Okay. I can answer it real quickly if you want. Is he that wants possible? to know why Red Alder isn't more popular. Um, it's, it's a commodity species. It's, you can't get a lot of money for it. It's a cheap species. So by the time you factor in shipping it across the country, it's not worth it. So it's, it's the same reason that, you know... It, any of the commodity species poplar is a commodity species hugely popular popular on the <laughs> east coast and it can be even harder to find on the west coast because it's a long way to ship a material that has very little profit margin mm-hmm. alder is the same way just practically zero profit margin on alder that's why I have so much alder wow. in my house and in arizona anything that anybody wanted to have made out of wood was made out of alder like yeah. All, even if I had to use plywood, we got alder plywood. It was alder, alder, alder <laughs> all day long. Not only alder. does it grow on trees, it grows on nine out of the 10 trees outside your front door. So that's why <laughs> yeah. it's really popular there. And we have zero alder here on the East coast. So yeah, yeah. not going to, nobody's going to put it on a truck, send it 3000 miles uh, when the profit margin is like five cents per board. Yeah. So yeah, it's not worth it. Okie doke. Uh, Scott wrote in, he says, I'm a one man shop. So as long as I measure consistently, it hasn't really mattered whether I call one inch or what, whether what I call one inch is actually one inch, uh, on a measuring tape, the marks or graduations, he says, have a thickness. Uh, what's the correct way to measure to the mark on, on the near side center, far side of the mark. I currently aim for the middle shrug. I realize that the measuring tape marks are so thin that it likely doesn't matter 
and that the thickness of my own pencil mark, uh, even with Mark's, Mark's fancy thin <laughs> pencils, uh, combined with human error will likely introduce more error than me choosing a position on the measuring tape line when I cut. But what's the correct way? All right, so I think he kind of established at the end what we would say for something like this, like it doesn't matter. It does not matter. As long as you do something consistently, whether you are exactly an inch or just a hair under that is irrelevant. It just matters that you do it the same every time. Um, but, you know, I gave this a little bit more thought and I was like, you know, I am very curious. If you go to a tape measure and you hook that thing on the end of a board where you mark, I mean, and that's only part of the equation here, right? Where you put your mark is just one thing. It's actually where you cut that really matters. So let's say you put your mark right where the mark is and you mimic the mark that's on the tape measure. And then where do you cut to produce something that is truly one inch? So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so far down like the convoluted theory. This is such an a academic only <laughs> sort of thing, but you know, that's what we're here for. No, so I not. ran out to the shop. <laughs> Shut up. It is. It's totally what we're here for. Uh, so I went out to the shop. I got my calipers. I got a couple of tape measures. I was able to test two of them, hooked it onto the end of the caliper and measured. And this is the best I could do like by eye, just being very careful with it. It seems like as, the, as far as the tape measure is concerned, the one inch portion is right before the line. So if you bisect the line, it's too big. If you go to the far end of the line, it'll be too big. If you cut your line away, it's perfect. Right. So that's at least for my two tape measures, that's what I had as a result. So if you take your tape measure, you put a pencil line at that one inch line exactly where it is on the tape measure. Then you take it to the saw and you remove the line. You end up with something that is exactly one inch. That's according to the two tape measures that I checked a Stanley and some um, really nice, like higher end Japanese <laughs> tape measure. Both gave me the same results. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's, that's consistent impressive in and of itself that you got consistency between two tape measures. Right. And that's one the, is a Stanley that's been in my shop for like 10 years. And the other is this supposedly much, you know, fancier Japanese version, but both kind of gave me the same result on the caliper. And I even handed the caliper to John and I said, just, you know, this is only one person's eyes. Um, can you check it and see if you get the same result? And he did. So I, I again, does that even matter? No. It's not yeah, like you're making a one inch part <laughs> and he didn't want to disagree with you. So he well, I didn't just, tell him was, it was a blind test. Oh, I didn't give okay. him the answer. Wow. He's, he's he's your employee. <laughs> I don't trust him at all. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. I had fun doing that. I'm, I'm kind of, he, he labeled this as a dumb question. I actually don't think it's a dumb question. I think when you first no. start woodworking, deciding where to cut on the line to either go one side or the other or bisect the line is kind of a individual choice that a lot of us make. It just matters how consistent you are. And if you do have someone else in the shop, then it might matter that you're both on the same page. Um, but I thought it was pretty interesting to, to think about where is the true one inch reference point when you look at the tape measure and you really, really dig into this stuff. So it was pretty cool. See, I think the more precision that's required, the less I use the tape measure. That's what it really comes down that's to. That's not your that's not your go-to tool if, if you're no. really worried about it. No, like if it has to be exact, then I'm I'm using like knife lines and story sticks and you know, yeah. things like that, not not a tape measure. Well, and the story stick, the whole point of the story stick is that we don't have to worry about exact measurements. It's like it, it the whole relative dimensioning thing. It fits when it fits. So it's I don't know how valuable that information is to know, you know, but I think it's just kind of a little piece of trivia to know. Sure. All right. This last question I chose because it's kind of for all of us. I'm curious to get some feedback from you guys. It's from Paul. He says, I'm looking to build a desk for my office and it'll definitely be the most complicated build I've done to date. My question is after milling the boards, what's the risk of moving out of four square sides if the project takes me a number of weekends to complete? Do I need to take the parts and joinery to a certain point such that if there's movement, it won't inhibit the ability to bring the full construction together? I'm in St. Charles, Missouri. Shout out to Nicole. Working out of an unconditioned garage. It's dry and cold in the winter, wet and humid in the summer. Does this impact your response? Would it be better to bring boards that have been milled and taken to a stopping point into the house for working on other pieces or would they just make things worse? So I, I think this is, this is common because I hear the other end, like what happened? Like I did all the milling and I came back two weeks later and now nothing fits. And a lot of people are mystified by that. So from my perspective as, as, as a hand tool person, um, where all of my joinery is going to be unique anyway. I try to take things as close to completion. Like I break things down into sub assemblies. The first thing I do is like, if I'm building a desk, 
what sub assemblies am I going to put together? And I try to take that sub assembly as close to completion as possible, if necessary, even gluing it up. You know, sometimes when I, I can't glue it up because I need to get to other parts of it, but I will assemble it and even clamp it and rely upon the joinery to help hold things flat because the one constant you can count on is it's gonna move. And what was perfectly square and parallel and flat, you know, today is probably not going to be tomorrow. I mean, perfect example. I'm in the middle of a violent thunderstorm right now. I can like hear the doors in my house expanding in their frames right now as the storm (laughs) blows through Mm. anything that I milled in the shop before we started recording like an hour or so ago. I wish it was that short of an amount of time. Um, two hours ago when we started recording, um, it's moved since then. So that's, that's what I do is like, I never, like, I never do all of my milling at once. Like, I, you know, you look at a project and go, okay, I need all the parts for the drawers and all the parts for the side. Let's mill it all up. And I, and I understand, especially in a power tool shop, kind of that tendency to get all that heavy grunt work out of the way. But the more of that I do in advance, the more I can count on having to kind of do it again later. So mm-hmm. what do you guys do from a, from a more power focus, hybrid focus perspective? I can say that I'm definitely worried about it. Um, I will try to like make the milling of the joinery um, as a just in time sort of thing. So as, as soon as it's done, I want to minimize the time between that and the final assembly as much as possible. Um, Just because I don't, I just don't want those problems. Um, I will also think in terms of subdividing a project so that, you know, like, like you're saying there, uh, Shannon, um, if you have a section of the project that can kind of be done first don't mill everything ahead of time. The only time I'll do that is if I have pieces that absolutely need to be the same dimension, um, even if they're used in a different section. I'll try to mill them at the same time so I don't even have to think about matching something later. Um, but other than that, I really do try to isolate these things in what would be like sub-assemblies so I can get that done, get it together. Now I don't have to think about it. I could go away for weeks and come back right. to it. That thing is assembled and I don't have to worry about it. But just raw parts that are already milled to size or joinery that's been milled to size and then you let that sit around for weeks, that's the thing you need to avoid doing. So look at the project and see why is this piece sitting around for weeks? Could I have done things in a different order that that could have been incorporated and assembled? And then I leave it alone for a couple of weeks. So I I definitely think about this a lot. I'm pretty similar to Mark in that sense. For like, if, if I can kind of break down the project in different segments or sections, I'm not going to, I'm not going to finish mill all the pieces for the entire project all at once. Uh, I'll maybe I'll rough mill everything. So I have it all kind of rough milled, but nothing's at final thickness, nothing at final size. One thing that I will do, like if I'm doing like a chest of drawers, like I'm doing right now for the, um, the case sides, I'm doing a dovetail box. It's just a big dovetail box. That's all it is. Um, if I make the panels for that and I don't cut the joinery the same day, I will stack all the panels on my uh, assembly table flat and then put like a piece of plywood on top. So they don't get any air and then they don't move. Mm-hmm. between mm, the yeah. time that I made them in the panels and the time I cut them in the um, time I cut the joinery into them. Oh my goodness. I, I think this is significantly harder for that weekend woodworker though. Like I, I, the way I think about this, this bed project that I'm doing right now, we're working on the headboard, haven't touched anything regarding like the rest of the, the like the legs, the rails, all that's still in ru- a rough state. Um, once I start that, I will probably mill up the legs then do the joinery in a single day, or at least do the mortises in a single day. Perhaps the next day we'll move on to the rails. We'll get the tenons done and then we're assembling like immediately. So that's a two to three day thing. Uh, one thing after another, but a lot of people don't have three days to work with, you know? So yeah. it, I, I don't envy someone who has to make these choices with these forced breaks between. Oh, but that's assess- especially where the sub assembly thing comes into, into play. Like Matt's building a giant box. If I'm building a box, I make sure when I start dovetailing, I've got time to do all four corners Mm -hmm. so that when I leave the shop, I have assembled that box because the dovetails (laughs) themselves will hold it flat. (laughs) Well, I put them back in the stack and they don't breathe. Matt's got a good point. And and that's actually something we shouldn't just kind of gloss over is putting that piece of plywood on top. Now the only moisture exchange that's happening is through the ingrains of those boards. Um, I oftentimes will stack the boards and a lot of times like if they're, they're, uh, narrower, I can just use a hold fast on my bench and just whack the hold fast in place and it holds them firmly to the bench. But because that top surface is exposed to the air, 
I'm going to see some movement on that top board, but just putting a piece of plywood, like a platen on top of it and then clamping it or putting weight on it or whatever, um, that will significantly reduce the amount of movement you're going to see because it's only the ends of those boards now that where you're seeing moisture exchange. Good tip, Matt. I like yeah. it. Yeah. You know yeah. what I do? I use my vacuum press. Oh, so there you go. There. That's the, there's the you solution know what I do? right there. I park my truck on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I use my vacuum press and then I park my truck on it. <laughs> so there. <laughs> Got a one up. That's all. Wow. Wow. Actually, would you, I mean, if you have a vacuum press that actually can hold the vacuum or like the vacuum press systems pump that I have that, um, it only it runs on like, off. like maybe every 20, 25 minutes, it kicks on for five seconds. So it's not actually doing much other than maintaining that vacuum. Yeah. That's, vacuum. I mean, if the, if the parts can fit in there, that may not be a terrible way to do it. If you need to just kind of hold things for a few days. Sure. Maybe that's, maybe that's really stupid. I don't know. No, it would work. It, it just seems like a lot to just do <laughs> that. A lot. I wouldn't buy it for that. <laughs> if, if you have the space to have your vacuum bag set up at all times, yeah. yes, okay. it's a good idea. It's a very good <laughs> idea. I got great ideas, guys. I mean, hang well, out you know, more often. The, the, the other thing that, that kind of like, this is the stuff you don't see on YouTube or like even on, 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 in TV shows when those still happened. Um, you remember TV? We used to have woodworking on that. No, nope. that's um, uh, the thing I used to play video games on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sometimes like when you're doing an assembly, like take the desk and say it's like a frame and panel desk. So there's a various sub assemblies. He's created the frames and panels. And then like when it comes time to assemble all the panels and all the rails and styles together into a desk, sometimes things don't exactly line up. And sometimes you have to kind of muscle it into shape and throw a clamp on it. You know, mm -hmm. things don't always just magically come together. Um, in fact, usually the larger the project, the more kind of deviation you may see. And that's the stuff that like, you never saw Norm do that on the new Yankee workshop. Everything just perfectly lined up. Well, yeah, you know, off camera or he's squeezing that joint together as he drives those 17 Brad nails into it, you know, because right. he's holding it. It doesn't exactly come right together. The same thing you see, like, you know, somebody who stacks their boards, they just ran over the joiner and everything comes together and there's zero gap in between them. You know, you come back the next day, you might see some little gaps in there, but if you put a little bit of pressure down with your hand, those gaps disappear. You know, I mean, there, there is a little bit of jiggering and moving things into position and manipulating into position. The idea is, is once it's seated, once that tenon shoulder is tight against the mortise, once the dovetail seated, then hopefully at that point, the gaps are gone and everything is square. But yeah. sometimes you have to use a bigger mallet in order to get <laughs> things to go together. That's what clamps are for. Vacuum bag. That's, we're that's, a vacuum yeah, bag. We're a vacuum bag. There you go. <laughs> well, you, you guys know the pantry project that I did for my mom. Um, I no, dragged my butt. Oh, we know all about it. <laughs> you guys know all about it. Uh, I dragged my butt on that thing so long that the panels, and I don't, don't normally make doors and drawer fronts as the first part of the project. I actually would advise against doing that. Um, but that's what I did because I was excited about it and I wanted to do it first. But I dragged my butt on that project so long. You know, I was terrified that by the time I got the case together, that these panels might not actually be flat panels anymore and things might be a whole lot harder to fit. And I lucked out uh, that it was all, I mean, it was stable plywood with veneer on it. So it shouldn't have been too bad. Thank but you, I was still kind of, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I was still kind of terrified that having waited weeks and making it take too long, that this thing would have been a nightmare to assemble. Um, so these are definitely things that we think about all the time. For show. Because we right. have I, no lives and we think about it all the time. Yeah, we don't think so about all anything we have to else. Do is think about this stuff. We should watch more TV. Okay. Uh, well, I think that does it for us today. Uh, remember that we are proudly sponsored by the folks at Rockler. Rockler not is the a other family, Rockler. not the other Rockler, the real Rockler, <laughs> the real the Rockler, good, the good one. Uh, family <laughs> owned since 1954. Rockler is your go-to source for high quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen, uh, kitchen cabinets, sorry, easy for me to say, Rockler has everything you need to make your project a success. Visit rockler.com for a store near you or use the code WOODTALK, that's all one word, uh, online on the website to receive free shipping on most orders over 39 bucks. And remember to head to rockler.com slash woodtalk to enter for your chance to win those Rockler Bench Cookie Plus Work Gripper Master Kit things. <laughs> a lot of that's words awful. in there. That's a lot of words, actually. That's, oh, baby, Rockler Bench Cookie Plus Work Grippers Master Kit. I, I feel like that should be like sponsored by Ronco or 
Like the, yeah. the ShamWow guy should be saying right. that. As seen on TV that no one watches Thanks. anymore. Yeah, that thing. Well, folks, we love your questions. Send us more questions. We'll do our best to answer them um, and not make fun of you too much while Just we answer a them. Bit. It's kind of off brand for us. That's to how not you know do that, we like you. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's true. I mean, that's like why I pick on, on Matt so much. It's the girl yeah. he likes. You know, we hit the people we like. <laughs> exactly. That's, 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 that's why I hit works. Matt. Yeah. <laughs> we got a whole face. Send us a question. Send us an email to woodtalkshow at gmail.com or go to woodtalkshow.com and fill out the contact form and submit your question that way or look us up on Instagram. You can find us there at woodtalkshow. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Thanks to everybody. Margaret Taylor, thanks to her. Alrighty. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time. See ya. Have fun shopping at the other Rockler. You won't find what you there. Don't. We're terrible. Find, find nothing there. I get no help. No, no lumber. No help. Nothing but nothing but disappointment. <laughs> and bad prices. The other rockler. Colon. <laughs> nothing but disappointment. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Bye everybody. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.